welcome to Unity Presbyterian Church Online. This week in worship, Pastor David continues our summer of questions with a look at the rapture. What does it mean for Jesus to return? Where has he been? Let's listen. Okay, disclaimer on the sermon today. You may leave with more questions than you came into the service with, but that's okay. Because part of what we're doing during this summer series is that you're giving the pastors your questions, and then we do the best we can to say, okay, these are the scriptures that are talking about this topic. Let's explore them together. And we've got a really big and really challenging topic today. We are talking about the second coming of Jesus. And so the question that we receive from the congregation is actually a series of questions. I want to read them for you now. Explain the meaning of when Jesus comes again. From where? When? Why? Where has Jesus been all the while? Is this a death event? Do we go to heaven as soon as we die? Or do we go at the rapture? So many good questions, right? And what I love about this is you can tell that this person is thinking deeply about this topic. And that's what we want. But we also need to understand that when we're talking about something like future times that we have not yet lived, questions are our friends. They help us consider more deeply and keep an open mind to possibilities. So keep the questions coming today as we explore this challenging topic together. Now, here's how I'm going to structure this. Since we have so many questions, I'd like to hit the first couple fairly quickly. Now, that means you're not going to get really a deep dive into them, but you're going to get enough to hopefully go, oh, okay, I can do more study on my own uh, based on these questions. And then the last question, I want to take more of a deep dive into, okay? So we'll start quick, and then we'll go a little bit deeper. Here's this first question. When talking about Jesus' second coming, from where? Where has Jesus been all the while? Okay, this is a good time to acknowledge that we really can't use spatial language when describing God, because God is, is everywhere, right? Even now, God is all around us in this place. So to say that Jesus will return just proves the limits of our human language when trying to describe the divine. Jesus is not really returning because Jesus never left. The presence of Christ is here, right here, right now. So I think what we mean when we say one day Jesus will come again is that one day Jesus will appear in such a visible way that everyone on earth will experience it together. That's what we mean when we say Jesus will return. It's not to say that Jesus now is absent, but one day God will become fully visible in a way that God chooses not to be right now. Here's how Paul puts it in Philippians. Paul says, one day at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. Paul is saying this will happen one day. That one day is not today, but it's the day we look towards in the future to say one day Jesus will reveal himself in such a way that all of the earth will acknowledge 
the power and the sovereignty of God. Which leads us then right into the next question. So if, if that's the, the where, where is this happening, then the next question is when? When will this happen that Jesus is fully revealed? Is this simply and strictly talking about a death event, like when we die we will see God, or is this a different time? Okay, so for this one, oh, I've got the answer. This is an easy one. I'm excited for this. No one knows. No one at all can answer that question. Jesus himself says this. In Matthew 24, Jesus says, but about that day or hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. So wait, not even the angels know when Jesus is going to come again. Uh, not even Jesus himself knows that when he's going to come again. Only God the Father knows. So if the angels don't know, and if Jesus doesn't know, then we sure don't get to know the timing of when this is going to happen. So please don't believe anyone that tells you that they've got the inside scoop of any timing related to end-time events. They're probably just trying to sell a book or a movie. Don't buy it. We don't get to know the timing. But instead, what we're told to do is to live a life of preparedness. Preparedness that this could happen any time. This could happen this afternoon. And we want to prepare our hearts in such a way that we would welcome this event whenever it does occur. Jesus says, live like they did in the days of Noah. In the days of Noah, they just lived their life having no idea that some event was about to come. And so the example for us is to be like Noah, living in faith, even if the rest of the world doesn't live in faith, saying, I'm going to follow God and prepare my heart to the best of my ability. So the when then leads to why. And I, I think, I take this to mean that the questioner is wondering, why will Jesus come back? Because we know that Jesus has already come once, right? These are the stories in the Gospels that we read. We read about the stories that Jesus came to earth as God incarnate. And Jesus taught us how to live. Jesus died for us. And then Jesus promised to one day return. And so this question is, well, why is Jesus returning? And I honestly believe it's because Jesus has unfinished business. And here's what I mean by that. Right now, in our world today, Jesus allows both goodness and evil to exist side by side. And you see that, don't you? In our world, not everything is good. There's evil that exists as well. But one day, Jesus says when he returns, he will set all things right in our world once and for all. That event is called different things in Scripture. Sometimes it's called making all things new. Other times it's called a restoration of the world or a new creation of our world. But whatever we call it, there's this idea that Jesus is going to return one day and make all things right. So that goodness and evil 
no longer exist side by side, but there will only be the goodness of God. Again, let's look to Jesus' words. Here's how he puts it in John chapter 5. He says, An hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out, and those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. What this is an acknowledgement of is that all is not right right now in our world. But one day, one day it will be. One day Jesus is going to bring justice to a world that is desperate for it. We need this one day to eventually come. Uh, John in the last book of the Bible says this is going to be a day when there's no more crying. There's no more mourning over those you've lost because there will be no more death. We need this day to someday occur. Uh, there was a Greek phrase in the New Testament where whenever something tragic happened, uh, maybe you lost a loved one, or maybe there was a fire and, and several people died, but in the first century, there was a Greek phrase that Christians would say to one another. They would say, Maranatha. And what that meant was, come Lord Jesus. In those moments where you can see the worst of this world, where you're mourning over something or you're in pain over something, Christians say to one another, come Lord Jesus. We know we're in this pain now, but that's not going to be our final reality. There is a one day that God will come and take away the pain that we deal with today. So like I said, we're going to hit those first couple questions very quickly. And what I hope to give you is enough scripture and enough ideas to continue thinking and searching for answers on your own. But what I want to do now is take that last question and do a bit more of a deep dive, because it's a really interesting one. The last question is, do we go to heaven as soon as we die, or do we at the rapture? Okay, first things first. The word rapture never occurs in the Bible. I'm sorry to burst your bubbles, but it's just not there. You can't find it. Instead, it is a Latin word. And it's a Latin word meaning a carrying off, a transport, a snatching away. If you ever read those left behind books, that's what they're basing this off of, of like God is going to snatch away all of the faithful and all of a sudden they will be gone from the earth. Now, they're creating this uh, based on a theology of rapture. That word, as we said, is not found in Scripture, but where they get this from is a passage from 1 Thessalonians. And that's what I want to explore, to say, okay, what do we make of this? Because what's happening is Paul is writing to a church in Thessalonica, and, it, and it's a new church of new believers, and he's trying to give them both comfort and guidance about what happens after this life. And so he talks about here's what happens after death, but he also gives them a glimpse of this future, of the one day when Jesus finally returns. So my hope is that we can explore this together and we can get ourselves thinking about, well, what are the specifics of how that day will one day occur? Here's how Paul begins. He says, brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, 
so that you do not grieve like the rest of humankind who have no hope. So in Paul's day, the majority of people that when they had someone they loved pass away, they would grieve bitterly. They would mourn deeply because they had no hope of an afterlife. They had no hope that there would be a possibility of life after death. Paul just sums it up by saying, in this perspective, there's a whole group of people with no hope. I had a friend once in college, and he was a Christian. He grew up in the church, and we talked about that a lot the first year or two of college. And then he surprised me my third year of college when he says, you know what, I don't think I believe that anymore. And he'd been drifting. I could tell he'd been drifting in his faith, but that that conversation still surprised me. He said, I don't think I believe in God, and and I'm not going to follow these teachings of Christ anymore. So we talked about that some, and then went our separate ways. And about a year later, I brought that up again. And I said, tell me, has anything changed in this year? In this year of of you kind of not being a Christian anymore and, and not following this path? And he thought about it, and he said, no. I mean, not really. I'm basically my same person and living my same life, which may have been part of the problem. But he's been thinking, and then he, we talk about that for a bit. And then he looks down and he goes, you know, but, but I'm terrified of death. I thought that was really interesting comment. Where all of a sudden, as he looked towards the future, he was pierced with anxiety. Because once he had this belief that there was hope, of what happens after death. And once that was removed, there was just nothing. And he was terrified. Hope is the belief that the future will be bright. Hope is the belief that good things are going to be coming. And it's not a pie-in-the-sky ideal, but it's good things because of God. Because God is present in our world and is moving all things, even behind the scenes, towards an ultimate purpose and good. And so as Christians, we are people of hope. When faced with the possibility of no resurrection, that's when hope is taken away. And that's when anxiety and sadness are the only things that remain. But for Christians, this should never be so. So as Paul writes to this church in Thessalonica, he says, I do not want you to be uninformed about what happens to us after we die. And then he goes on to explain why. He says, For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, so that we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have died in him. What he's saying is that any hope we have in life after death is rooted in Jesus. Jesus died on the cross. But for Jesus, death was not the end of the story. God raised Jesus back to life. I mean, this is the Easter message, isn't it? That we proclaim each and every Easter. And the reason that Paul is bringing it up today is because he wants us to begin thinking about future events. Things that we generally like to put out of our minds. To say, no, I don't want to think about that. I don't want to think about death. I don't want to think about the afterlife. But Paul's saying, no. There comes a time we need to think about it. And because of what Christ has done as Christians, when we think about it, we have reason for hope. So what he's saying is that one day, too, we will die. And that shouldn't be a surprise to any of 
us. We know that we are mortal. But what may be surprising is that Paul is saying, because Jesus also died, but death was not the end of his story, because he rose from the dead, that those who are in Christ will also raise with him. I think the whole phrasing is really fascinating. The phrasing where Paul says, God will bring with Jesus those who have died in him. I think what he's trying to do is make abundantly clear the importance of being in Christ. If you are in Christ as you live, then death won't change that. Even in death, you will still be in Christ. So for many of us, this is not necessarily new information. But for the people in Thessalonica, they wanted some more specifics. They wanted to say, okay, I get that, but how does that all work? So we're going to get into these last three verses now. And these are probably the more challenging verses because Paul starts talking about the end of things. When Jesus finally reveals himself to the whole world, what's that going to be like? And the language he uses is interesting and confusing and challenging all at the same time. So let's lean into it together. He says, according to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have died. All right, clear as mud. You got it, right? Not quite. What Paul's getting at here is a question of timing. So the people in Thessalonica were wondering, all right, you talk about the hope that we have uh, in Christ after we die, but what about those who have already died? Are they living into that hope already, or do they somehow wait until the second coming of Jesus, and then do we all live into this hope together? That's the question that Paul's really trying to tackle here. And I think this is probably a good time to point out something that scholar N.T. Wright said, who's done a lot of research in this area. Uh, He said, Christian language about the future is a set of signposts pointing into the mist. When we're talking about specifics here, about end times and the futures, it's like you're looking off into the mist. And you get the main idea. You get the general understanding of, okay, this is what God is going to do. But the specifics can be shrouded in mystery, can't they? Uh, The author goes on to say, you're not given a photograph. A photograph would have all the specifics right there, plain to see, but that's not what we're given. Instead, we're given these signposts that they do. They point us in the right direction, but it's kind of like looking into the mist. These last two verses, let's continue to look in this mist together. He gets more specific. He says, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. So what Paul is saying is, is he says, okay, when you imagine the second coming of Christ, when all the world will recognize God together, he says three things are going to happen. He says there's going to be this command of an archangel. There's going to be these trumpets that blow, and then the dead in Christ will rise. As I studied this this week, I thought, okay, two out of the three of those really make sense. But the trumpets— what do the trumpets mean? And that kind of troubled me, because I really didn't know. 
I thought, does Jesus just like brass instruments, or, or what is happening here? And whenever something doesn't make sense to you in Scripture, consider that an opportunity to say, I'm going to learn more. I want to study more. I'm going to try to find out why this thing in Scripture doesn't quite make sense. And so I went looking a little bit. I said, what's the significance of the trumpets? And what I found out is that here, Paul is actually alluding to an Old Testament story, an Old Testament story that would have been very familiar to all those first century Christians. It's a story that when I remind you of it, I bet you'll be familiar with it as well. It's when Moses meets with God on the top of Mount Sinai. And he goes to the top of the mountain and it's shrouded in a cloud. And what does that cloud represent? The presence of God. And while he's on the top of the mountain, he's given the Ten Commandments. And he takes those commandments and God says, now go meet with my people. And on the bottom of the mountain, God says, when you get there, I will meet with them too. And so Moses goes to the bottom of the mountain. He goes to meet with the people. And then the presence of God, the cloud arrives. And what happens? There's a trumpet blast. There's a trumpet blast to signify the presence of God in this place. We're told in Exodus that as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke. And the voice of God answered him. So what Paul knew that the people in Thessalonica would understand, we, 2,000 years later, probably have forgotten. That the trumpet blast signified the coming of God. So what's he saying here? He's saying at the end of time, it's going to be like it was back in the time of Exodus. When God went to meet with his people. When the trumpet blast said, God is here, that sort of idea is going to happen once again. And in this next verse, this last verse, he uses now a different Old Testament analogy to make the same point. He says, and after that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so, we will be with the Lord forever. Wait, we get to fly? Is that what this means? Okay, that may not be what this means. But once again, what Paul's doing is he's taking an image that would have been really familiar to them. So what does that image of the clouds represent again? The presence of God. And not only does it represent the presence of God, but he's reminding them of a story in Daniel. And now when we think of Daniel, we usually just think, Oh, Daniel the lion's den, right? But in the first century, when they thought of Daniel, they often thought of the vision that Daniel had of the end of time and what that was going to be like. And Daniel shared that vision in chapter 7 when he says, In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man coming with clouds of heaven. Paul is telling his people, Don't you remember? This is not new. This is something that's been talked about from the Old Testament times. Back in the book of Daniel, when he says, I see this vision of God coming on the clouds. And again, the clouds being the presence of God. So Paul is using that story and saying it's like Jesus is coming surrounded by God's presence once again to earth to make all things right and new and beautiful once again. 
This is all he says about the topic. And not all of our questions are answered, are they? And that's where that signpost analogy comes in handy again. We are looking in the mist here. And yet, that doesn't mean that we are blind. It doesn't mean that we wander around without being able to see anything. No, we know where we're headed in the future. And where we are headed is to that one day. That one day when God will make all things new. When God will remove all pain and mourning and death. That day is not today, but it's out there in the mist. It is what we are moving to. And so what we can do today as Christians is have confidence that God will come. And in the meantime, we live our lives of preparedness, preparing our hearts, living lives of faith for the God who is still present with us today. One more quote from N.T. Wright. He says, Jesus' appearing will be for those of us who have known and loved him here, like meeting face to face, someone we have only known by letter, telephone, or perhaps email. This is a day to look forward to, a day to place our hope and our trust and our confidence in. That day is not today, but it will be one day. Amen. If you would like more information about Unity Presbyterian Church, please visit our website at www.unitypres.org or visit us on Facebook. This is the Unity Presbyterian Church Podcast. Have a great week.